This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, this is kind of a time-sensitive segment. You might even hear it again uh, before the tax deadline, but we're talking about tax time, and you've got a list of really good do's and don'ts for tax time. I know that I always, I don't always get it, but I sometimes get excited about getting that Mm -hmm. check back. Uh, And then somebody says, oh, that just means you paid them too much in the first place, Elaine. (laughs) You gave them a loan. (laughs) And then I feel bad about it. It's like, oh, dumb, dumb, dumb. I need to do something better. Regardless, uh, Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, Vancouver Licensed Insolvency Trustee, talking about the six simple do's and don'ts for tax time, which is, like I say, timely and a good idea, especially as we're starting that process. It's upon us. And this is is really a segment for everybody. Even if you don't have tax debt, this is just some good guidance to keep in mind. Everyone in Canada has got to file a tax return. And if you owe the government money, um, yeah, we we can help you. But in general, there's a bunch of things that you should just know for good practice. Good. All right. Well, let's start. Um, The know the filing and payment deadlines. Mm -hmm. Are they not always the same well, no, they're not. They're not. And okay. I'm happy you asked me that. Okay, so, well, I thought they were. That's why yeah. I'm confused again. Well, yeah, so for most people, so for the vast majority of people that are not self-employed, so that who receive a paycheck, a T4 slip, their employer withdraws taxes at source for them, uh, April 30th is the day. So okay. April 30th, you got to have your taxes in um, and you've got to pay any balance owing by that date. So the filing and the payment deadline is actually the same if you're not self-employed. Okay. Now, where it's different um, is if you're self-employed, you get a little bit of extra time. You get until June 15th to file your taxes because self-employed, you got to get a bunch of things organized. The government gives you a little bit of extra slack, um, but as they give it, they take it away because you get extra time, but not for payments. If you're self-employed, you need to make your payment by April 30th, even though your taxes aren't due until June 15th. Government expects you to estimate what you're owed, and if you send them too much, they will send you a nice refund. but if you send them too little, they'll ding you with interest charges on what should have been paid. And this is the thing that's always bugged me about uh, dealing with uh, a tax refund or they don't, you don't get to charge them interest. Oh no, it's if one-sided. They owe, <laughs> if they owe you money and have owed it to you for a couple of years, let's say. Yeah. 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 They yeah. don't pay you interest. You no, and pay it's, them interest. and you know, the interest is not the same as a credit card would be, but it still can be significant. Yeah, so can. right away, if you're, if you're late, if April 30th comes and goes and they don't have their, their check, you know, either in the mail or in their hands, uh, right away, it's a 5% penalty of the amount owing. And that could be just for just a few days late. Um, and after then it's 1% per month. Yeah. And just, just in case you think, oh, I've got a really good case here. I should be able to take this to them. They're reasonable people. Mm-hmm. I should be able to negotiate on the phone and Da, 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 da. It doesn't happen. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. I learned that from experience yeah. with my mom's estate. Mm. Uh, if there was no, and I didn't realize that something hadn't been done and this money was owed and um, they really didn't 
care that yeah. uh, my mom had passed and that I was responsible for this and that's all there was to it. So uh, they're very inflexible. Yeah, I would say that that's correct. And you know, even if you think, oh my God, there's some problem here, I shouldn't owe this money, what CRA would say is, pay us and then we'll talk about it. Exactly. We can object to it after, but you better get this this balance paid or we're going to start taking some collection activities against you. Exactly. Yeah. So it's w- worth paying attention to. Uh, interest, As you talked about the interest charges, they can be significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the deal. 5% right now if yeah. you're late. And then 1% on top of that 5%. Oh, is yeah. That how it goes? For every month. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the do's, you hear you talk about time, which is interesting. Yeah, so it's depending on the complexity of your situation, but you know, for everybody, this is just set aside enough time to deal with this. You know, it's once a year, it comes every year, you know it's coming, you know you, you need to plan off a little bit of time. Yeah. And for someone who's relatively simple with a single T4, maybe a few charitable donations, things like that, you might be able to be done inside an hour or two. Yeah. Um, if you're self-employed, you got a business, it's a going concern, employees, suppliers, different write-offs, you probably need to start Start investing time way back in January, getting things together, exactly. um, you know, giving yourself a couple of hours on April 29th, you're not setting yourself up to succeed here at all. No. Um, so you need to make sure you set off, set aside enough time, but also don't overcomplicate, don't overengineer things. The amount of clients that I have coming to me um, who have just very basic tax returns, but they still pay somebody $150 each to do their returns. You know, a lot of people, if they're low income, they can do returns for free online. There's various software providers, yeah. or if you just go and buy tax software, It'll usually do four or five returns for about $30. So there are ways to do it yourself. Um, Just plan yourself enough time so that you're not scrambling at the last minute. The other thing too is if if money is an issue for you, I know that there's a lot of community support for tax. I have a couple of friends who do that kind of work for folks. And so I know that that's available depending Mm -hmm. on where you live or what you can access, but it does exist. Yes, for sure. Which which I thought was pretty terrific that there's Mm -hmm. those folks out there willing to help. Um, Forget to file your tax return. I know people who don't file their tax returns on a regular basis and haven't for years. And now they do, but they Mm. went for years and years and didn't. And would you believe that's way worse than actually owing CRA money? is being a non-filer. So Siri's okay if you owe them a debt, you know, they'll, again, they'll either work with you or not. Um, but if you haven't filed your taxes from CRA's point of view, you're not fulfilling your end of the whole social contract of being a part of society. It's your, the price of civic, um, you know, your civic obligation is essentially to file your taxes every year. So part of it is you have to do so. But the benefit to you also is I have people in my office sometimes that haven't filed taxes, you know, for five or 10 years. And the amount of benefits they're sometimes able to get back just astounds me. Mm. So I have had a mother in my office maybe two weeks ago, a single mom with a couple of kids, hadn't filed for a number of years, had been scraping by on what she could earn. The amount of child tax benefit that she's able to get refunded to her was just staggering. It oh. actually dealt with most of her debt problem. Interesting. And she had no idea she was even entitled to child benefit or GST credits or yeah. you know different things that come from the government. But if you're not pay- filing your taxes every year, they've got no means of sending you this money. Right. That's a really good point. Um, and it's just fear, right? Fear gets in the way for, fo- for folks. They just don't want to know. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to know how bad a situation they're in when, and in this case, like you described, I mean, it turned out really well. Oh, yeah. I think it's fear and it's, you know, complexity. You know, people think it's very difficult. And what if I make a mistake? Um, You know, I have some people that will just, you know, get the forms. They'll handwrite in things. They'll make mistakes. They'll send it off to CRA and CRA will work with it. They they want you to make your best efforts. And again, it's not difficult if you work either with a volunteer or get the software yourself. Not hard to do. Okay, cool. All right. 
Uh, tax scams. I swear that we are bombarded with that. Yeah. Uh, not just me personally, but I think we as a society or a province or a community or a city or whatever it is. My gosh, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this. If it sounds too good to be true, man, it is. Yeah. It probably is. Yeah, I see a, a ton of, of tax scams come and go o- over the years. And, you know, what's also a big part of it, too, is this fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you hear that uh, your neighbor or your friend or a family member has gotten a really big tax refund by doing something a little bit different, and you don't want to be left out. So you sign on, then your brother and your sister and your cousins. I've literally seen entire families um, really get, get audited and then eventually have, you know, massive interest and penalties from taking, uh, taking part in a certain tax scam. The most common ones I've seen... Yeah. Yeah, are, are um, if you give a donation. So there's an organization that might be set up, probably something that you've never heard about, and you donate them, say, $1,000, and they, through all this you know, machinery or chicanery or whatever, are able to turn that donation into $10,000, yes. and they give you a receipt for $10,000. Oh. But you know you've only donated $1,000, and $1,000 doesn't suddenly become $10,000 because of whatever they can do. Uh, you know, Sometimes it's community or computer equipment or artwork or things like that, but it's all a very opaque process on how they you know, maximize the benefit of your donation donation. At the end of the day, CRA has disallowed every single time this has ever happened. Um, Now they've stopped paying out their refunds, which is a good thing because in the past they would actually pay out a refund of however many thousands of dollars. And then when they audited you a few years later and disallowed it, you'd owe the refund plus interest plus penalties for several years. Okay. So if it's anything like that, a charitable donation scam, run the other way. These have never succeeded once. And the scam is that they've got your thousand dollars. Exactly. Right. And they've convinced you that you could get $10,000 refund or yeah. Or uh, credit. Yeah, you end up out the money you gave to them and with a big tax bill for the refund that, you know, CRA might have sent to you. Is there something very specific that we can look at on forms or on websites that show it to be a reputable organization? You know how we go on the internet and if there's a, a, a lock, a mm-hmm. secure lock beside the title on the web page, then we know that that's a secure site. Is there anything like that we can look for with charities? Yeah, there's nothing that, that I know of that's, you know, incredibly yeah. pervasive, you know, one stand standard um, thing that you'd always know you'd be okay with. But I think if you just look at, are you getting a charitable receipt that's equal to what you donated? Then you're probably fine, okay, right? You're, you're not trying to make any upside there. And if your donation was misappropriated, well, you had no knowledge of that. But at the end of the day, you donated a thousand, you got a thousand dollar receipt. You're got not it. trying to get any extra benefit. Sure, you may have lost that thousand dollars, but you weren't being accused of trying to defraud the tax department. Yes. Okay. Balance owing. Do not ignore that balance owing. Yeah. So of all the people that you'd want to owe money to, the government is definitely at the the back of that list, at the bottom of that list. Right. Um, because if you owe money to, you know, Visa, MasterCard, the banks, your brother, sister, whatever, for anybody to have any impact upon you to really force you to pay that debt, to start taking your wages or, you know, to register on title to your house if you have one, they've got to go through a very lengthy and costly court proceeding first. They've got to serve you with documents. You get the right to show up. You get the right to contest things. The judge is going to be very careful about what they order. When you owe the government money, all that's out the window. So if you don't make arrangements, you know, to deal with CRA according to terms that they find acceptable, they have the right to go straight to your employer, take up to 30% of your wages. Um, If you're a self-employed individual and you have certain clients, they can go straight to your client and say, the money that you owe to the individual who owes taxes, don't pay that to him. You've got to pay that directly to the government, 100% of those monies. Wow. So essentially it chokes off the entrepreneur's source of income. Right. And CRA can do both of those things with no notice to you. Um, They can also register a charge on title to your house. 
that make sure when you sell it or if you have to refinance that they get their money. So if you have a balance owing, it's critical that you take some positive steps to deal with it. And one of those positive steps would be to come and see you. Absolutely. Right, because I know that as a licensed insolvency trustee, you have the ability to... Uh, help the help the person who's walked in the door yeah. deal with a government debt, a yeah, government we are, agency debt. We're often the only people that have, exactly. have that ability, that, that solution. Yeah. So, you know, right off the top, if it's a debt that you're able to pay, if you've got a house worth a million dollars with no mortgage and you owe $10,000 in taxes, nobody can really help you reduce that debt. But most people I see, it's an entrepreneur who got a hit with a massive tax assessment, or it's a family who maybe the dad or mom's been working two jobs to try to make ends meet, and they got hit with a big tax assessment because not enough was taken off at source. In those cases, almost every time we can do a consumer proposal, stops all the interest, stops all the collection activities, and gives you time to pay off the reduced balance. Often we can reduce tax debt down to 30 cents on the dollar. Excellent. And if consumer proposal is a term you haven't heard before, we talk about it a great deal on this show, all Mm -hmm. the different avenues, how to do it, how to access it, the benefits of it. and Just keep listening. You'll hear it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or you can check the website because I know you've got lots of good good information on the website, lots of great resources. If you're not ready to make that phone call or you don't think you're in that particular of a pickle, but that you need some help, their website's great. It's sands-trustee.com. And then if you, after reading it, go, okay, I think I need more help than this. Free consultation, very easy to get. The number is 1-800-661-3030. You can book that free consultation and find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're talking about the financial challenges that seniors face today and five good steps to help someone, seniors specifically, with a debt problem. And do you have like an age that you say a senior is? Because I don't know. Is there an age? <laughs> yeah, we usually pick age 60 and above. Okay. You know, Obviously, some people retire sooner, some later, but you know, around 60 or so okay. is our, our definition. Yep. So more and more Canadians are retiring with debt. And I think that's so true just because of the the day and age that we're living in, right? Yep. If it's a ho- like if it's a mortgage, would you fall, would that fall into that category oh, yeah. as well as consumer debt? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, some of the stats you know, are really shocking to me because most people think when you're hitting your senior years, you know, you're debt-free. Um, you're getting a, a pension, but ideally you've saved a lot that you're going to be just fine. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen people bring debt into retirement and continue to accumulate debt in retirement. Um, you know, of our clients, 15% have outstanding credit card debt when they're senior citizens. Wow. Um, 18% of all personal bankruptcies actually involved people over 60. So one in five of the clients that we see um, are in their golden years, so to speak. Okay. So that so that's a surprise to me, yeah. but it doesn't sound like that's an exceptional situation. So I'll I'll, I'll stop being surprised and because it's so important that if it feels like, you know, we're talking about you, then we've got so much good information for you and, and a good place to go to get some help mm-hmm. uh, with it in such a, you know, in a really great way. So I know there's some steps. So let's yeah. talk about those steps. Uh, the first one, uh, which is sometimes the hardest yeah. for me, I know it is, 
is uh, add it all up. Yeah, so it's really take stock of the situation. If you've been sitting there not opening your mail and it's and it's piling up, or if you're just looking at the statements, paying the minimum and moving on, um, you've got to really go a level deeper there. You've got to sit down and find out exactly how much is owed and to who. So there's collection agents calling. If you're not sure who it is, you know maybe you want to pull a credit report, which you can do for free and see what's on there. But just start a list. Start out, you know, who is owed the money? how much and you know just just go from there we got to figure out what the situation is a few hundred dollars is obviously different than a few thousand is different than twenty thousand exactly. so you know how big is the problem and and to who so you can't deal with it until you know what the problem is right fair enough and then now that you know what your situation is uh, i guess i guess you have to make a plan right because you yeah. once you know knowledge is gold you, you want to take some action on it. Yeah. So once you've got all your debts listed out, um, just as you said, Elaine, you got to figure out a plan. Can you get out of this under your own steam? And a method we would recommend is you got to figure out how to put your debts in a priority order. And assuming you don't owe money to the government, because generally that would be your first debt, um, but you'd want to put your debts with the highest interest rate first. Okay. So, so that's how you determine the order. Yeah. So so take, take a list and then or, order it by interest rate mm-hmm. and then figure out what are the minimum payments required on each of those those debts. And then I'd encourage you also to add an extra column, which is going to be on each of the statements. It's going to say how long to be debt-free if we just make the minimum payments. Right. What you're going to see, going to see now on all your credit bill, credit card statements, they're going to actually say how long it will take for this uh, balance to be paid off uh, paying the minimum payment. Right. Okay. Now, one thing, and this is kind of an insider tip here, but something that not enough people do is you can negotiate with your bank and it t- doesn't hurt you. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, if you trying to work out your debt repayments and the interest rates are really high, call the bank. Just say, you know what, I'm trying to get out of from under this debt. Can we lower the interest rate? Can we do something? Sometimes the answer will be no, but sometimes you'll be very surprised. They might be willing to work with you for a period of time. So the person who would do that, would would that be if, if I just had one credit card debt and it was uh, just a little uh, unmanageable and then I'd take that action and phone the bank like who who would be the, who would be the best candidates to do that yeah I think you're right if it's a small number of debts and a relatively small amount something that you know if they lower the interest a bit you'll be able to pay it off a little bit faster and get out from under it so you know not if you owe eighty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars a lower interest rate is probably not going to help you much if you're on pension right. income you probably can't make the minimum payments anyway but if the situation is not extremely dire it's a worthwhile thing to try right okay good so we've made a plan um, I love the idea of asking for a reduction on interest because, as you said, like nothing ventured, nothing gained, pretty much, right? Now, check for safety. What does that mean? Well, especially with with the senior citizen demographic, they're a huge target for scammers, fraudsters, for people that will promise and then not deliver anything other than, you know, um, bad dreams at the end of the day here. Um, So I've had a number of clients who um, they've had a telemarketer call them and say, you know what, we can help you out of debt. How do you even know I was in debt? Well, don't don't even worry about that, but we can help you out of it. Um, And so sometimes you'll pay money, you know, whether it's a few hundred dollars a month for a year for someone that you think is helping you with your debt, and then you figure out nothing's happened at all. So if you're a senior, if you're trying to help a senior get out of a debt situation, uh, if they're paying an intermediary, ask some hard questions. So ask questions like, how is this person licensed? You know, is there a federal government body that oversees this? How am I guaranteed that I'm getting results? Are there legal contracts in place or is it governed by legislation? And what happens if something goes wrong? Who can I complain to? Is there some dispute 
uh, dispute resolution mechanism for just about anybody that's unofficial. They'll have very poor answers to those those types of questions. Right, and and we know that there's so much information that's available out there uh, on their websites to look these organizations up, and if the answers aren't there, then that's the key, right? That you know that they're not reputable people to be dealing with, and you need to move on, not answer their calls or... Yeah. 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 And, you know, for anybody, we just recommend, you know, look around, maybe look at two or three different solutions rather than, you know, falling for the first one that, that falls into your lap. Especially if, if they contact you, Exactly. Right? If, if it's an outbound call, that's your first big warning sign. So myself, as a, as a licensed insolvency trustee, I'm prohibited from ever soliciting clients, doing outbound calls, asking somebody, you know, for work. They've got to come to me. They've got to realize they need the service and reach out. And that's what most reputable situations would, would be. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That's, that's a really good reminder. Find the source. So pinpoint the reason for having accumulated the debt in the first place. Yeah, so why are wow, we here? so easy, but so complicated and big sometimes. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's it's a small symptom of a very big problem. Um, so gambling is definitely sure. something that I see in the senior citizen demographic. Um, and these are often the people that have the highest debts, but with nothing to show for it because they haven't been out purchasing anything. They haven't been living, you know, high on the hog. They've been unfortunately in the throes of a gambling addiction. Right. Um, so when you start to look look at all that that's together and you can't figure out why it causes you to, to start to ask those next level questions of how is the person spending their time and is there an issue there yeah um, so you know that that's one that we see a lot but you know another could be just hey they're working a couple of jobs and the employers don't know to take off enough tax so unless you go to the employer and say hey deduct more on an, on an ongoing basis right. every year the senior is going to have a tax issue and you know four or five years of two thousand dollars a year of excess taxes well suddenly you're ten thousand dollars plus in debt to the government Right, and maybe they're starting to garnish your pensions. Yeah, you got and a real growing. problem, and growing. And right, growing. that ten thousand dollars is growing. Yeah. And the other piece is, and I and I think this is important because uh, sometimes it is to no fault of their own yeah. that they're in this situation. Yeah. So, you know, two, two big situations that we see, you know, one is medical issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, quite often someone didn't want to retire as early as they had to, you know, life intervened, they got sick or a family member got sick right. and their best laid retirement plan suddenly went out the window because they just couldn't work anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that can be a, a big challenge. Um, you know, another one that, that we see um, is quite often many people, they never stop supporting their children. Right. Um, so no matter how old they are, they're always your kids and, you know, always your grandkids too. Um, so I sometimes have clients in my office and when I look at their budget, it's more than half is going, you know, to pay grandkids cell phone bills or to help mom and dad yep. out with rent. And, you know, where the person is literally living in poverty, trying to help the rest of their family out. Um, you know, if it's the debt payments, I can help with that. But with the family support, there's sometimes a harder conversation that needs to happen. Absolutely. And grandchildren seem to get their way with grandparents often and they bypass the parents altogether. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that can happen. Yeah. yeah, I've yeah I've seen it happen. Listen, I I think the key right now is if any of this information is resonating with you, uh, either you hear yourself being described or you hear uh, someone you know being described in any of the things that we've talked about. Uh, Sands and Associates, they're such good people, and you get a free consultation. All you have to do is call them and have a sit down with someone like Blair. Can talk about your situation and then say, okay, maybe this these are the couple of steps that you could make, and, and might not have anything to do with a consumer proposal or bankruptcy, but just some other good information that you're lacking right now. 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We've got a fun segment right now. Uh, Well, fun and informative, I should probably say. Dave Jones, that's who we're going to be talking to. He's currently Chief Constable of the New Westminster Police Department. Uh, he's had, he's been in the department, led the department since 2011, uh, began his policing career back in 1982, was a volunteer, and then he became a full-time officer in 1986. Now, this is interesting, Dave, and I know you're on the line, and just yep. hang, hang out there with me for a second. So, worked in a variety of the sections, which I think is really, really interesting and important information. Uh, within the police service. So patrol, major crimes, special op unit, drug section, community services, street crimes, as well as part of the joint forces operations uh, in their drug section, operational support unit, and street crimes unit. And I kind of feel like, Dave, you've, you've, you've seen it all. Yeah, it's, and it does feel that way some days. I bet it does. I bet it does. Now, the good news about that is that you have this amazing uh, foundation of experience and knowledge about uh, our specific topic that we're going to talk about with you, and that's financial scams and, and how people can protect themselves. And uh, before we get right into questions, etc., I just... I think I feel like we're living in a different time than we were certainly when you started in the force uh, today. I mean, I just feel like we're really vulnerable. You know, we we are right because what we're looking at here no longer is just this kind of local, if you want to call it local scam going around, someone going door to door trying to sell you something. Now we're talking things that happen on an international level, right? They ha- it's you know who's knocking on your computer or your door per se is someone not even in the country and uh, the stories and and different methods of trying to imitate um, valid or realistic companies is out there. It's a far more complex. And sometimes you don't even know. Sometimes you don't even know they're accessing you and your information. Well, that's the thing too, right? We've moved into a digital world and, uh, you know, people are storing, you know, banking information, personal information out in this, uh, you know, internet world and digital world. And people are being able to access it and actually create you, become you. Yeah. And, and Dave, I was just, you know, leading towards this segment, I was really thinking, it seems like on a daily basis, um, there's at least some scam that hits my inbox, or I get a robocall, or I get something going on. And, you know, I know to ignore, delete, you know, hang up the phone and things like that. But it's almost on a daily basis. That's what we're looking at these days. And you're correct with that. And and no one is immune from it. It happens on a daily basis, all around on a massive level. And I just use it my own example. Last night, I got a a notice on my email indicating that apparently I was to update uh, an account of mine. <laughs> and I don't have that account with <laughs> exactly. that company, right? And, and, it's, and I certainly don't have it registered. And, and amazingly enough, that came to my policing email. Wow. Not, not a personal email. That came to the police department. So <laughs> that those phishing scams aren't limited to just, you know, uh, targeting. It's a wide open blast. And that also makes me think that it's a real robotic kind of uh, machine that's behind that uh, to access somebody like you like that's just dumb right yeah and it, and whether it's just uh you know running random emails or picking up on emails that are going through the system that are seen as being valid ones right yeah. so you know uh you know my email and it's pretty simple at the work here but whether it's copied or seen or you call it fished out of someone else's email box they know it's a legitimate email so they're sending it back to they're sending it out to everybody who falls victims to, the, to these scams dave who, who do you tend to see is there a certain profile is it all walks of life ages 
Well, I would say all walks of life do fall victim to various scams, but in particular the ones that are of concern um, and probably the more vulnerable groups are um, the seniors that we see in the community in terms of it who, um, I would say, trust government organizations that are being imitated now right. and uh, and also you know, they're a, a very trusting group, right? They they come across with that. And then there's other vulnerable sectors, I would say, that um, uh, have are targeted because they might not be as sophisticated or understanding or have access to resources to help them out to clarify certain things. Well, I think the other part of it, too, is that you just don't know if these people are legit or not. Like, we've, we've come across, and I know Blair has, where uh, if somebody's trying to collect money, for example, the kinds of methods that they use are very intimidating. And if you're a law-abiding citizen and have never had a record of any kind and you pay on time and you you know don't have any parking tickets or speeding tickets, you just automatically think, oh my gosh, what, what have I done wrong? How can I, how can I fix this? I need to fix this immediately. You know, and that you're right on that. And a lot of people now, like some of these scams that are going on, they, they're actually becoming, I say, threatening. Uh, a very common very. one that's out there right now is, say, is the one using the CRA, the yes. Canadian yeah. Revenue Association. Yeah, we've all seen that. <laughs> yeah. And people are being told, like, you're going to be arrested, we're going to come, we're going to seize your house, we're going to do this. Now, people are not familiar with that agency um, and how they operate or how the police operate with them is, you know, um, no one's going to come arrest you because you haven't paid your taxes, right? No one's going to make, make threaten to arrest you in case you didn't do it in terms of it. But the issue comes is that they're the material they're putting out is actually imitates like letterhead in that. Exactly. Right. And you've got to be even further cautious because they'll give you a phone number to call, which mm-hmm. is actually linked to them. Yeah. Right? Can so, we talk about that specific yeah. scam? Because I know I just done a little bit of reading about it because it hit the sort of mainstream media a few weeks back and it was frightening what I heard. Right. And, and so that scam really is playing on people's fears, right? Paying taxes and, and the implications of not paying taxes or doing it right or wrong, and particularly if you make a mistake, scares people in that when they get noticed that, you know, you owe us money and therefore you need to pay right away. Um, I think there's still that whole almost a mythology about, you know, how you know, the CRA, or of course in the U.S., we see the Internal Revenue Service is this big, mm-hmm. scary monster, if you want to call it. And uh, so people become worried as to what's happening, because like, filing taxes is not always as, as easy as what we all think about, right? And so when you get this, you owe me money, and you need to do this now, or we will come arrest you or do things, that has really been something we've seen here in New West, and even the other day talking to a banking institution in another city where a lot of people are coming in and withdrawing money to send to somebody through a money transfer system. So to you or I, I'm saying that's completely wrong. No one's going to ask you to withdraw cash and send it through a money transfer mm-hmm. system. But to some people, they're also afraid of, say, interacting with the law. The police, they're afraid they don't want the police to come to their house, that they're going to be in some form of trouble. And at the end of the day, you know, that we try to drive this, and it's been going out, is there's no way the CRA acts in that way. They will send you correspondence. There's no way the police are going to come out and arrest you because you haven't paid your taxes, right, Uh, or you owe something in terms of it. And never would there be a cash transaction with a a government organization like that. So it's difficult because we keep driving that message out there. And then we have to go further to warn them to say, 
you know, if you're going to ask for something, if you think something's suspicious or whatever, you know, hang up the phone and call them back, but don't ask for a number from them because right. it's so easy for them to give you a number, which is really ringing beside the person committing the fraud. Exactly, and that's the one that I was uh, thinking about specifically, that that one that, that they have, that they give you a number to call, to call your bank. You need to call your bank. This is the number. And so you call the bank, or it's not even, they don't even give you the number, but they've already accessed your phone line in some way right. that then uh, they just continue to... Um, disguise themselves as that institution. Yeah, even their caller ID can show oh up as CRA, gosh. right? Oh yeah. my gosh, that <laughs> that's just frightening to me. Uh, I mean, and I'm a pretty knowledgeable, you know, aware person, um, and I get sucked in, and I really have to listen, or I really have to read something before I know for sure this is a scam. And one little one that I always find amusing is when I get the email from CRA, CRA and saying, Dear Taxpayer, and I thought of all the correspondence I've received from Canada Revenue, they've never said, Dear <laughs> taxpayer <laughs> to me before. Well, and people need to understand that they have, you know, CRA legitimately will have a lot of, has a lot of personal information on you from social insurance numbers and stuff like that. But generally you have a code with CRA, like a personal identifying number that only you'll be able to get from the CRA. And again, uh, you know, the big stress is that there you, CRA is still generally going to communicate you through the mail. It's going to send it to you. And anything that comes in that you don't know about is, it's just simply you look up the number, you look up for the agency, and you ask them, don't call them and say, hey, I owe you money. How much can I confirm this? It is, I received some correspondence. What is it you're looking for, right, right in terms of it, and by contacting them directly? And, you know, I had my own experience recently with my, uh, you know, I have an elderly parent, my mom, and she was in, involved with something with CRA. And uh, it was, although it was legitimate, it, it required, and some good thinking on her part was, not. She hung up the phone, called me, because yep. she's a lot fortunate, I guess, to have a son in policing. <laughs> yes, and I'd I, call you too, Dave. <laughs> and I simply told her she did the right thing, and I, and I phoned CRA back, and I was actually critical of them calling her in the way they did and what they were asking, but they got it, right? And, uh, and as it turned out, it was legitimate, but it took a bit to, you know, as, uh, as we try to talk to people saying, when you get a phone call, just say no on the phone, hang up, and, and if it was your bank or BC Hydro or someone, look up the number yourself and then call them and ask them if there's something they need to talk to you about. Excellent. Dave, what are some tips for someone to keep in mind, you know, or some warning signs of, of a scam? How does someone know, um, you know, that, that they might be at risk? Well, the first first thing is, is that you indicated there where it's like a dear taxpayer, where it's a non-personal mm. type address to somebody, where it's like, you know, hey, Mr. Ac- or dear account holder or subscriber. Um, the other one is, is is just unsolicited. Like, you know, if you've paid your bills to a corporation and you know you're paying your bills, is that all of a sudden you get something that looks suspicious in terms of it, um, it or it's unique that you never get correspondence from somebody, you suddenly receive that correspondence in terms of it, even though the letterhead in that may look legitimate. The other one, too, is, is where... Um, you know, you're going to look for, um, I would call, uh, foreign numbers, right, to return back to, or odd emails. You know, the, the government of Canada has a very, you know, set email structure in terms of how they how they respond. And if I think about it like the RCMP, where it's always rcmp-grc-gc.ca. I know that, right? And we become familiar with it. 
when it says, you know, www.scam.rcmp. <laughs> that's not a legitimate email address right. in terms of it. And the other one, too, is, is, is this whole idea of asking you for money or funds. And, and I think of this like in the um, lottery winning schemes, asking you to pay money or put up money for something that you're not familiar with. I mean, that is the first telltale sign, right? Hey, you owe me money. Hey, you owe us this. Or, hey, pay this because you won that. These are the just generally, um, you know, I'd hate to say this, you shouldn't trust anything that comes to you unsolicited in that manner. That's a really, really good point to start with, certainly. We've been talking with Dave Jones. He's currently Chief Constable of the New Westminster Police uh, Department and has been since 2011. Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. If you have any questions or want information about being in debt and how you can possibly help yourself out, sands-trustee.com is their website, or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us is Kate Flanders, who's a former binge consumer turned mindful consumer of everything. Uh, Through a lot of personal stories, she wrote about what happens when money, minimalism, and mindfulness all cross paths. Uh, She has her blog, www.kateflanders.com, and Kate is spelt with C-A-I-T. And in 2018, wrote a book called The Year of Less, which we can't help uh, but recommend you pick up. It's a terrific book. Blair's read uh, read it and just found it so valuable. Mm-hmm. But one of the what we're going to talk about in this segment is um, Kate's experience. First of all, thank you for joining us, Kate. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, it, and what we're going to talk about is your experience in paying off a pretty significant debt uh, over a two-year period. And man, you were young. You were only 25. I was when I started it, yeah. Wow, $30,000 at 25 years old. And my bet is, while that sounds like a crazy number in my little head, um, I know it's not an unusual number for people. Yeah, for the, the clients that I see, Elaine, you know, that's below the average. You know, the average is forty dollars to $60,000 of debt. Even the average Canadian consumer is about $25,000 in, in debt. So, you know, this is definitely not outside the realm of the average here. And for someone who's only 25, mm-hmm. when you look at educational debt or college, you know, university and all that stuff, yep. the kind of debt that, that young people walk away with, even though they've got a degree, they have this huge yeah. piece. Yeah, and what I what I love too, and, and thanks a lot for joining us, Kate. But you did this, you know, essentially publicly. You had a budget, sorry, you had a, a a blog called Blonde on a Budget. I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about that and why you originally started the blog. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Blonde on a Budget days. Going back, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. I mean, that's so just shows I was twenty five. <laughs> but um, yeah, I you know when I was twenty five, I got to this point where I realized I was nearly maxed out with $30,000. Um, and the unfortunate part is that actually there was like almost no student debt in that. It was basically all consumer debt except mm. for about $4,500 that was for school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember starting the blog really thinking of it um, 
Uh, sort of like the same way some people, you know, you would track maybe your calories or your workouts if you're trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Like I started the blog, I was writing anonymously because I didn't want anyone to find it. Um, and all I would do was every Sunday I would post a weekly spending report that literally said things like, on Monday, I spent $2.91 at Starbucks. <laughs> and on Tuesday, I spent $2.91 at Starbucks. <laughs> and then maybe something on groceries. Um, and I would just track my spending so that I knew how much I spent and where it went. I also tracked um, payday, so like any income that came in and, um, and then any amounts that I put towards my debt. And then I was on the side just kind of tracking like where I was in my debt repayment journey. That was all it was. It was just showing off the numbers. So was there a, like a, a moment where all of this came that you decided, I, I'm going to do this. There must be something for me to learn by doing this. Or was there a seminal moment that just arrived for you? Or how did you get to that point that to even start writing that? Because that's a very difficult thing to do for folks is write down everything that they're spending money on. It was. I mean, I think that I really... Like the day I realized I was maxed out was one of the worst days I can remember just in how much shame I felt, mm-hmm. how, um, and not just like for things I'd, I'd sort of, I don't know, I thought I'd like ruined all my chances of having a strong financial future. I also had a lot of shame because I'm the oldest sibling by like eight and 10 years. And I really felt like I was supposed to be a role model for my brother and sister. And there was a day when I asked my, I don't know, like 17 year old sister at the time for $70 because I had to make a payment on something. And I was just like, that is not okay. How did I just ask my 17-year-old sister for money? Wow. Um, and, and so I just, you know, I, I tormented myself almost during those two years that I was paying off the debt. But really, like, the reason I started writing about it was because, I guess for me, I just felt like there wasn't an option. Right. Like, I just had to take it seriously. Like, being maxed out means there is no more credit. I mean, I, I probably could have called and asked for a higher limit or something, but it, for me, it was my my final moment, like, this is it. I have to start taking care of it. Excellent. And what was the feeling like of having that, that amount of debt? So you, you use the word shame. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of my clients, you know, they, they say they felt guilty, they felt ashamed, they were sad, they didn't have something to, to show for it. Were you experiencing those those types of, you know, in your day-to-day, I imagine it would have impacted your moods? It. It, it's funny. It affected a lot of things. So number one, like let's even remember that I started writing anonymously. I didn't want mm. anyone to know. Right. I didn't want my family to find it more than anyone. I didn't want friends to know. And not like I kind of think right now I look back and think it's funny. Like what I think my friends are just Googling me or something. Like, <laughs> how, how would they have even found it? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I just really wanted to avoid that. So I was writing anonymously. Um, I used to cry myself to sleep at night for like the first month that I realized I was in that kind of a situation. Um, it, it felt awful. I also like was, I would, I would start to lie to friends about like why I couldn't hang out anymore. Hmm. And that doesn't feel good either. Right. Like it didn't feel good that I, I couldn't tell anyone it eventually within a couple months, like once I had paid off the first few thousand dollars, I told my best friend finally and just said, this is a situation, but she's the only person who knew for probably over a year. Um, and it, it took a long time. Like I had to make kind of significant process or progress in paying it off before I felt comfortable telling other people. 
That's such good information, you know, Kate, because uh, the kinds of things that you've described, I know that Blair hears from people, his clients, they say similar things or have the similar feelings and and that idea that they, they want to do it anonymously. They don't want anybody mm-hmm. to know. Yep. All those things. It's such, so good that you're sharing this. But can we talk a, a little bit about um, what are the key things that you learned during your quest to be debt-free and how did you do it? Well, I would say, not that I would ever say I regret doing this because I don't think I, like, obviously I wouldn't regret paying off my debt. I, Looking back, I do sort of wish I had um, been a little bit kinder to myself hmm. because I was pretty hard on myself for all two years. Like how much of um, your income were you putting towards debt? Every, every month was a little bit different, um, but I had a few months where it was like up to 55%. Wow. <laughs> That's and pretty massive. It was huge. and But then the problem in that too is that I also wasn't really saving and I wasn't really investing anything. And so I was just so obsessed with getting down to zero that I had kind of no balance in my life. I wasn't really giving myself any kind of, I'll call it fun money, but literally like that means like just go to a restaurant once in a while or something. Like I just wasn't really letting myself have a life. I was just focused on getting down to zero and then it's just interesting. It's like not that surprising to me sort of that I kind of went right back to spending because I didn't have any goals or real thoughts about what I wanted next. And so now I would always say like to other people, I'm like, I would just find some kind of balance. It doesn't mean you have to be like making your debt repayment last way longer. But if I had even said I could pay it off in three years, that still would have been great. Right? Like it still would have been great and I would have gotten the end result and I could have maybe then finished with either some savings or a bit more in retirement or just something. And I just, I don't know, I just think that it was my approach and then how hard on myself I was the whole time that um, I would have just changed a few things, I think, looking back. But you can't change. You can't right. do that. So. But our next question was going to be, and we just have about a minute left with you, uh, were words of advice. So you talked about uh, be a little kinder to yourself great advice for Mm -hmm. anybody, Uh, a little more balance. And when you said 55% you were paying off, uh, that's the amount you were taking out of your what you were bringing in to pay off your debt. That seems like an awful lot of money or a big percentage, right? That's an order of magnitude higher than most people, yeah. (laughs) So there goes the balance. So an idea uh, be kindness, a little more balance. Uh, Have you got one more before we we wrap up, Kate? Well, I think... It's it to go along with debt or just you know spending in general. I think something that's helped me since day one, truly and still to this day, is tracking my spending and asking if I'm happy with where the money is going. And that can help with paying off debt. It can help you reach different financial goals, like if you're trying to save for something. So I always kind of go back to that. Like all these changes I've made, they seem big, but it has always come back to that. It's come back to tracking Excellent. and asking myself how I felt about the numbers. Wow. We're talking with Kate Flanders, author of a book called The Year of Less. It's a self-help memoir documenting her life for the first 12 months of a two-year shopping ban. Easy to get. You can get the book easily. Kate lives in Squamish, British Columbia with her three loves. And I just love this line, the mountains, the forest, and the ocean. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.